We have two readings today in celebration of ministry in all of its dimensions. The first is from the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read it in the opposite order from what is in your bulletin. I'm going to read this passage and then tell you a little bit about the second passage. Here from the book of Ephesians, may God bless to us the reading of God's word. The gifts God gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, all to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. The word of the Lord. Folks who have been around here a while might know that there's a little passage in a rarely read book called the Book of Wisdom that I personally love as an image of Christ's ministry. I've talked about it a couple of times from this pulpit over the years in different contexts. But I, um, I note, note that I say the church's ministry, not particularly pastor's ministry. And I say it that way because in our tradition, pastors do, in a kind of concentrated, professional, or trained way, what we are all called to do in our baptism as baptized people of the church. We are called by you all to do this in a certain kind of way, but all of you care about it, or at least you should. The image in this little passage I'm going to read is of the priest and the leader of the people called Aaron comes from about 300 years or so before Jesus walked the roads of Palestine. It comes out of the Jewish community in Alexandria, Egypt. That community then was at a crossroads trying to understand who it was in a time of tremendous social pressure on them, trying to understand what they were called to do and how they were called to be in the world. The Book of Wisdom was an attempt to cast a vision into that conversation. Roman Catholics and many Eastern Orthodox Christian, Christians understand this book to be part of the Bible. It is scripture. Protestants take this book and they set it apart as special, but we don't give it quite the authority of the rest of scripture. In fact, if you look in your pew Bibles here, you won't find the book of wisdom there, but in other churches you would. We consider the book to be profitable for teaching even if it does not raise to the level of being authoritative for doctrine. But teach, it does. And so I want to read a passage to you as the people of, in Alexandria in order to interpret their situation. Remember back to when the Hebrew people were in the desert, facing similar struggles, facing a plague, needing salvation, begging for leadership, and wanting to understand the ministry that they were called to. And so as you listen to this passage, I invite you to think not simply of Aaron as a figure, but to think of Aaron as a symbol of all of our ministry. Hear words about the robe that he wore and imagine our work as a church. Listen to these words from the 18th chapter. The experience of death touched also the righteous. 
And a plague came upon the multitude in the desert, but the wrath did not long continue. For a blameless one was quick to act as their champion. He brought forth the shield of ministry, prayer and propitiation by incense. He withstood the anger and put an end to the disaster, showing that he was God's servant. He conquered the wrath, not by strength of body, not by force of arms, but by his word. He subdued the avenger, appealing to the oaths and covenants given to our ancestors. For when the dead had already fallen on one another in heaps, he intervened and held back the wrath and cut off its way to the living. For on his long robe the whole world was depicted and the glories of the ancestors were engraved on the four rows of stones and God's majesty was on the diadem upon his head. To these the destroyer yielded, these the destroyer feared, for merely to test the wrath was enough. Amen. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee, O God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Okay, the question that you have all been wondering about since you walked into the sanctuary this morning, why am I wearing a black robe and the other pastors wearing white robes? It's not because my white robe is in the dry cleaners. It's because I want to tell you a story about this robe that I'm wearing right now. The robes that uh, Leah and Mike and Eric are wearing are called albs. They are traditional simple garb for persons of the church, monks or pastors wearing these simple white robes. The robe I'm wearing actually traditionally is an academic robe. Uh, it wasn't actually until 1983 that Presbyterian pastors were even given permission by the denomination to wear albs. That was because it was thought that these were liturgical dress. And we don't wear liturgical dress because it's too Catholic. <laughs> but because in the last century we have been in delightful and wonderful healing conversation across the church, we have discovered that we too can participate in the liturgical life of the wider church. But prior to that, these robes were black robes because they were academic robes. They were a way of saying that the preacher went to school. That's why we wear black robes indicate that we went to school. And, but I'm wearing this one today because I want to tell you a story about it. Forty years ago or so, when I was first getting this fitted out before I was ordained into ministry, I went to a place called Philadelphia Church Supply. This old haberdasher was there wearing a kind of measuring tape around his neck like we're wearing stoles, and he was measuring for me for the robe, and he looked at this and he said, now you're going to be a pastor, right? And I said, uh, that's my hope. And he said, well, you know, you ought to do something a little more than just the academic stuff. Why don't you put something on those panels? I said, what? 
And he said, put a couple of crosses. I said, okay. And then he said, why don't you make them red? And I said, why? And he said, because it's the Holy Spirit, for God's sake. <laughs> and I said, okay. And so during the years that I worked in academic settings and was a college chaplain or a professor, when I would wear my robe, there would be crosses on the panel, and people would look at me and say, what are those there for? And I would tell them why. One year when I was a, a college chaplain, we were gathering and in line for commencement, and this was in the 1990s, during a time when we were all often wearing red ribbons to denote AIDS awareness and to call people to attention and to prayer around that social crisis. And I was given my red ribbon and I pinned it on and I put it on right here on my robe and I looked on at one point and I realized right next to the cross that I had been wearing a red ribbon all along. That year after year, the crosses on my robe symbolized all of the deep and abiding concerns in the wider world. They brought everything in, the whole world, in these crosses. And my stole today. We're wearing red stoles today, again, because it's the Holy Spirit. Red, and because we're recognizing ministry, this particular robe actually was given to me by a former student at that college where I was a chaplain. She has now spent several decades as a missionary in Thailand for the American Baptist Church, working with young women coming out of sex trafficking, helping them find a new way and a new life, and they support their work through learning embroidery and through developing these beautiful stoles. So every time I wear this stole, I think of more than the Holy Spirit. I think of how the Holy Spirit is at work in the real world. And I pray for Kit Ripley and for her work. I pray for all the girls she works with in Thailand. So Aaron's robe in the passage you heard read. So Aaron representing leadership for a people in crisis, for a people under fear and concern about what was coming and not knowing who they are. So Aaron, in his leadership, representing the shared work that they all had together as the people of God. You heard in that story read a story of his robe, his extraordinary robe that was all embroidered, the whole thing. Can you imagine what that would be like? Anyone here able to do that? Let's Let's say you had a robe and you had the opportunity to embroider pictures of all the world on your robe. What would you put there? Would you put faces of children of various complexion and skin colors? Would you put images of refugees fleeing in fear? Would you put images of people in the hallways of power making decisions? Would you put people around tables feasting together and celebrating grand and glorious community? Would you put a picture of a, of a mother receiving a child into the world? Would you put a picture of two people walking apart from each other because they can never reconcile again? Would you put images of heaven however you imagine paradise? Would you put pictures of nature? of the earth we're called to steward and care for? Would you put pictures of the cosmos that we're only beginning to learn about and stars that are grand and mysterious? All the world, all the cosmos embroidered on your robe as a recognition that what it means to be the people of God is to welcome, not control, 
but to welcome all the world and all its concerns, to welcome and celebrate all the world and all of its strengths, all the beauty and all the reality of all the world. And Aaron's robe also had a stole. His stole was actually four rows stitched right in of stones. I'm not sure I want to wear that one. Can you imagine the weight of that stole? Four rows of stones stitched into this embroidered robe on which are painted all of the stories, the oaths and the covenants of the ancestors. Sarah laughing, Jacob wrestling, Miriam, Moses, and Aaron leading the Hebrews, Jonah running, Job weeping, Ruth scheming, Mary and Elizabeth embracing, Paul seeing the risen Christ on the road, Priscilla preaching, John seeing visions, and all the stuff that has made the church through the ages, even Pinnacle Presbyterian Church right here, what would you paint on those stones, good, bad, and in between? I like to imagine that that stone had a couple, or that robe had a couple of stones that weren't painted on yet. Because the churches and the people of God are not just who they are, but who we will be. I've laughed and joked about this in committee meetings here and there, but uh, I want to tell you the story again for those of you who have heard about uh, shirts I used to wear in my first church. Let me explain. There was a Land's End outlet just down the road from my first congregation near Chicago where they sold uh, seconds and surplus items. And one of the things they specialized in selling was Land's End shirts and other items that had monograms that either had a letter wrong or, a, or weren't quite stitched properly or were returned. And because they were monogrammed, they sold them for like five bucks a piece. I filled my closet with monogrammed shirts from Land's End. None of them had my initials. Now, the great thing about this is that even after I no longer needed to spend just $5 on my shirts and I could afford to go down and buy a brand new clean dress shirt, I kept buying the monogrammed ones because I loved wearing them. Because after a while, they became about who I was. And I would sit in the most important meeting, sitting next to the clerk of session at a session meeting, in which we were making momentous decisions about the future of the church. And I would think, I'm way out of my league here, until I remembered that I was wearing somebody else's monogram. <laughs> and somehow it all seemed OK. Have you ever seen on a stole that a pastor wears, or in a or on a cross, perhaps, or in a stained glass window, the initials I-H-S. They're Christ's monogram. Jesus Christ crucified. Initials in Greek. We wear someone else's monogram when we do ministry. The monogram of Christ, reminding us that it is not all about us. Reminding us that we're not making this up that it might be more important that we know where to point than to have all of the answers. And it might be more important that we know how to stay in the conversation than to think we've got it down. Our faith is shared. It's already written on the stones 
even the ones that we don't know how to read very well. We just need to keep them uncovered. And that's challenge enough in itself. But we can't stop there. We also need to watch what our brother Aaron is doing in his robe. So look back or think back if you remember my reading of the passage. The book says that while wearing this mantle of a robe, the one who wears it is doing a very particular thing. He or she is praying. He or she is, as the text says, practicing the art of release. It's an odd phrase. Practicing the art of release. But it might be an image of what our shared ministry might just be about. Releasing people from what harms them. Releasing prayer to do its work. Releasing energy and resources and intelligence and imagination and love in the right directions. Releasing the Holy Spirit to be about her work in us and among us and in the world. And it's about our life together as God's church and what we can become as we become what Will Willimon so nicely puts a consequence of God's redemption of the world. So a word to these three pastors. Dr. Hegeman, Reverends Kuberian and Quarles. And I hope you might apply these words to your life in ministry, however God calls you to do so. The three of you, I experience it too, are marketed every day by seminaries and seminars and conference centers and do-it-yourself online programs promising to keep you fresh and teach you to manage, change your priorities, and give you all the tools you need to be a successful pastor instantly. Your colleagues have their own ideas. Members of this church have their own ideas. And I do too. And with all of this, you'll be easily tempted to either think you can actually get good at this business, or on the other extreme, you might decide that you'll never measure up. I'm there too. But truth be told, it's when that you're tempted to think that you've, you're either competent or incompetent, that surely God will guide your work and you will be reminded otherwise. And by grace, you'll be given help. That's because the most basic skill of ministry is a skill that we all need. Actively, skillfully, attentively waiting for God. That's where prayer begins. And as the Book of Wisdom says, that is what calms what threatens and what puts an end to what does harm. Actively, skillfully, attentively waiting for God. And so, Mike, you already know this. Eric, you're already seeing this. Leah, I think you're already getting a sense of this. These beloved folks right here and more at Pinnacle, they will stretch you, they will confound you, they will enliven you, they will frustrate you, they will overwhelm you, they will love you, they will curse you, they will give you reasons to doubt as often as they will give you reasons to rejoice. But the scorecard 
doesn't matter. What matters more is the simple God-ordained fact that they're also the folks, the good folks, with whom we live out our vocation and among whom our vocation will grow. As you, as we together learn how to practice the art of release. And so one more look at the image of Aaron. Reading this passage, you will also notice that it is not the strength of an arm or the wit of a mind or the winning of an argument or the building of a program that offers this release to the people. It is speech. Speech in its most beautiful sense. It is words that we offer each other without violence or anger. It is words that we simply give as a gift filled with hope. Truthful words offered with courage and love, encouraging words, direct words, soft words, imperfect but also healing words. We need to take each other seriously enough sometimes to listen behind words spoken, to hear their deeper meaning, and to forgive things that are said poorly. We need to look each other in the eye and want good for each other. And to pray until, as you all heard from the book of Ephesians, all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Amen.